Father, once again, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the gift of eternal life through faith in your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your holy word. We pray that we might take it in by faith, that we might take it in with humility. We know that our thoughts are not your thoughts, and our ways are not your ways. We know that men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we thank you, Lord, for the scripture. We pray that you might guide and direct us by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we might um, apply these things, Lord, in our life through the filling ministry of the Holy Spirit. Sanctify your believers here through your truth, because your word is truth. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to John chapter 5, verse 29. John 5, 29. And uh, we're dealing with the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ in this section of Scripture. We know that all judgment has been assigned to the Son of Man. One day the Lord Jesus Christ will judge all individuals, and he uh, will judge those uh, earlier in this section. All authority has been given to the Son of Man for judgment. And here he also has the power to raise the dead. And verse, uh, let's go back one verse in John 5, 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. As we study this passage, we notice that there are two classes of resurrections. He's not mentioning all the future resurrections in this passage, although all future resurrections are included in this summary statement. He basically classifies all saved individuals under the category of resurrection life. All saved individuals, including church-age believers, will be resurrected to life and enjoy the everlasting life in the New Jerusalem. Those who have done evil describing those unsaved individuals who are not justified by faith. Now, when we look at those who have done good and those who have done evil, he's not saying that they're saved by works. Uh, This is not teaching salvation by works. We know that we are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and that not of works, lest any man should boast. He's simply saying that once you are saved, only then you have the capacity to please God. And therefore, the saved are categorized or characterized by those who have done good. And the unsaved, none of their goodness and all their deeds are summarized in the fact that they have done evil. And I'll add one further thing. We'll look at one further thing. Those who have done evil are those who have rejected the gospel. Those who have rejected the gospel. And there's parallel language, by the way, with, we saw last week, men who embrace the darkness and reject the light. That's described earlier in John 3 as doing evil. So those who have done evil, we could say, are those who have rejected the gospel. They will be resurrected, resulting in their condemnation. Resulting in their condemnation. So we who have believed the gospel will be resurrected, resulting in the enjoyment of eternal life. We have eternal life when we believe, but the fullness of life forever in a new Jerusalem minus pain, death, sorrow, and suffering. And that is the resurrection unto life. Now, we're focusing on that second uh, category, category of resurrection, those who are resurrected to judgment or condemnation. Uh, Paul in Acts 24 verse 15 also states the fact that there is a separation between the resurrection of the saved and the lost. He said this in 24.15, I hope hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead. And notice he classifies them under two categories. There will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. So all individuals will be resurrected, whether saved or lost throughout human history. Except, by the way, I'd add that one exception, those who are raptured in the church. We will receive our glorified body at that point apart from death. But apart from that exception, all other individuals will be resurrected. Both the just, those, notice here, those who are justified by faith, the unjust are those who are not justified by faith. 
those who have rejected the gospel. So Paul is summarizing in similar words what Jesus said in John chapter 3. Now, um, Rodmacher states this. I love Earl Rodmacher. He had a nickname, Rat Smasher. Smasher. (laughs) If you ever hear Rodmacher, he has kind of that authoritative you know, thus saith the Lord type of type of message. Really great um, watching his series on hermeneutics. They delivered in the 1980s. Um, and I heard him speak in person before he passed away. A great free grace guy. Um, it's Nelson Study Bible, by the way, if you're looking for a great study Bible, and there's some good ones out there. Schofield is great, although there's not a lot of notes in the Old Testament. There's you know, the notes that Schofield has are good, but really for a detailed study Bible, Ryrie, I think, is great. Um, but a, the most extensive free grace study Bible out there, and that doesn't mean I accept every uh, explanation of every passage, but overall, if you like a great study Bible, I think the Nelson Study Bible is an excellent study Bible. Don't confuse this with the Thomas Nelson Study Bible. Okay, two different Bibles. I'm not talking about it's both by Thomas Nelson, but this is the one by Rodmacher. First edition, by the way. If you can find a first edition, it's better. Rodmacher was upset, by the way. Usually, there's free grace notes in the study Bible. Rodmacher, I heard him in person, was was upset when he looked at his own study Bible, and the editors changed the notes in some places, especially James chapter two. Rodmacher was upset in what the editors totally reworded James 2 more toward a Calvinistic uh, point of view versus a free grace perspective. So you wonder, you look at James 2, say, what? Rodmacher, no, Rodmacher did not hold to what the footnotes state in James 2. So this is from Rodmacher himself before he passed away. I, I heard the story of how that happened. Usually editors come by and slice and dice you know their words I always wondered that about one particular book by J. Dwight Pentecost called New Wine now it's nothing to do with New Wine (laughs) the drink Uh, he's talking about a a, uh, book of Acts and you know he taught a course in transitional problems in the book of Acts you know the book of Acts is a transitional book and he taught a detailed course on that. And so the summary of that is in this book, New Wine. I'm reading that and I'm thinking, this doesn't make any sense. It's like the editors really ripped out a lot of information. And, and he was written, wrote that older as he was older in his life, probably in his 80s or something like that. And I thought, nah, the editors got a hold of this book. I wish they would have allowed his full edition, just correct maybe some of the spelling, and left the rest alone. But editors usually don't do that that's why by the way some publishers they seek their own independent private publishers so that they won't take all their writings and redo the whole thing having said that (laughs) uh, the Nelson study bible is a great study bible great study bible from a dispensational free grace perspective now there is another free grace study bible um out by um uh who's a pastor down in oak cliff tony evans tony evans study bible problem with tony evans he's free grace um but he's progressive dispensational so he teaches a kingdom now theology tony evans teaches kingdom now theology uh and so i have some problems he does have some great study notes on certain pastors dealing with free grace issues, but that's why I favor here the Nelson Study Bible. Okay, let's read this quote here then, uh, the comment on those who have done good. The only good anyone can do is to believe on Christ, the one God sent, in John 6, 28 and 29. Let's look at John chapter 6, verse 28. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? How are we going to work the works of God? What do we need to do? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you might believe in him whom he sent. 
simple faith. Believe in him whom he sent. So the only good anyone could do is to believe on Christ, the one God sent. All other good actions flow from that. Anything good that is done without that belief means nothing to God. That's why in Romans chapter 3 says in verse 10, there is none good. Not even one. No good. So anything good that is done without that belief means nothing to God and will result in the resurrection of condemnation. So doing good is ultimately believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, if you've done that, you'll be resurrected in that classification of resurrection of life. Um, John three eighteen to 21 states it clearly. He who believes in him is not condemned. Notice you're condemned already by not believing, by rejecting the gospel. And if you continue in that state, you'll be resurrected to condemnation or judgment. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? And this gives us the reason why the unsaved are condemned. And again, if you're Calvinist, you'd say because they were not one of the elect. But that's not what the Bible states. The Bible says, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And therefore, the onus is on the individual. And God gives every individual an opportunity. Now, understanding that it's only by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit that someone can believe. I understand that. Uh, we, we call that uh, in John chapter 16, the Spirit comes and convicts. The convicting work of the Holy Spirit of sin because they believe not on me. Now, we know that the Holy Spirit must overcome man's depraved heart by convincing that individual to believe. But it's still the individual who believes or rejects the gospel. And therefore, individual responsibility, or if you want to use the term free will, I know that's anathema to some Calvinists, but the Bible teaches free will. By the way, if you study dispensationalists, like Chafer, Walward, Ryrie, they use the term free will constantly. Man has a free will. And therefore, the balance between the sovereignty and free will, they held to both. I remember Spurgeon said that. Spurgeon was more on the Calvinistic side, but he had this statement. He said, man, don't you have two eyes? <laughs> Can't you see sovereignty and free will together? And that's what Spurgeon did. He said, you know, both are true. And God is sovereign and man has a choice. Man has a free will. He can believe or reject the gospel. And individuals will be held to account and be condemned in that resurrection day at the great white throne judgment because they have not believed. That is the center issue. The issue is belief or unbelief. And notice John 3.18 states this clearly. He who believes in him is not condemned. As further, by the way, the Bible says we will not experience that future judgment. In John chapter 4, verse 20, 20 uh, let's take a look at, just keep your place there. And uh, look at um, John chapter 4. Excuse me, 524 is what I'm saying. John 524. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into what? Judgment. But has passed from death to life. Now, we will stand before the Bama seat judgment, but that's not to determine our eternal destiny. And we will be evaluated for our works and rewards will be given to faithful Christians. Some Christians will lose reward. But uh, we will not experience what the unsaved will experience at the great white throne judgment. Back to our text here, John 3.18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because, here's the reason, because he has not believed. Not because God has not give, hasn't given him the faith, but because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment or condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were what? Evil. Connect that with our text in John chapter 5. 
those who have done evil to the resurrection condemnation. The evil, by the way, is not believing the gospel. It's staying away from the light. I want to just live light the way I want. I don't need God in my life. I don't need uh, to believe. I want to do my own thing. Their theme song is, I did it my way (laughs) instead of God's way. Uh, And therefore, they will be judged one day. They will be resurrected to judgment and condemnation. They repel. The light repels the darkness. And they want to remain in the dark. In the dark. Because of their lifestyle. Their deeds were evil. We could write Romans 1 over that verse. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following. Suppression of the truth and unrighteousness. And all the things, sins that flow from that suppression of truth. They want to stay in the dark. Everyone practicing the evil hates the light. Don't be surprised, Christian, if people repudiate you and your testimony. It's because they hate the light. They hate it. They don't want exposure. They don't want God or anyone else pointing out their sins. And therefore, they stay away from the light and the light of God's word. The entrance of your word gives light. And therefore, Psalm 119.11. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Notice, deeds that are wrought by God, good. Those who reject the light because their deeds were evil. And so I think this is a parallel passage to that passage in uh, John 5. And explains those who do on evil are those who reject the light, especially the light concerning the Son of God and faith in Him. Those who have done good are those who embrace the light. And therefore God can produce godly righteousness through them. Now, Let's deal with the four texts. I know we introduced this last week, but I want to go into further detail showing a distinction between saved and lost, even in the eternal state. The last two chapters of the Bible deal with what is called the eternal state. We have the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, and that will be the city in which the saints will dwell in, those who have believed the gospel. But there will be those who have been cast into the lake of fire that are excluded from that city. And so we see individuals who experience the second death. Let's take a look at at the the book of Revelation. Just read this great white throne judgment again. This passage in Revelation chapter 20. And we'll connect it to these four passages that are mentioned in Revelation. 21 and 22 that show that saved and lost are forever separate. Very important. We have this idea that maybe someday the those in hell will eventually change their mind and they'll have an opportunity to believe the gospel and be in that city in the New Jerusalem. The Bible does not teach that. And we have forms of universalism that teach that. Um, and therefore some teach annihilationism that these people will not simply exist. But when we see the eternal state, they're still there. They're still in existence. So it's very interesting. We have four passages mentioned, mentioning the lost in that section on the eternal state. Now, leading up to that, we have the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and he who was set on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. Meaning that the earth will be destroyed before this judgment. Now, the unsaved will be resurrected and their bodies will come out of the grave their soul will come out of Hades which is a temporal place of judgment until this future day and then they will appear before God and I think they'll witness the destruction of the heavens and the earth and therefore the earth will be destroyed before this great white throne judgment there was found no place for them and I saw the dead small and great stand before God and their books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, not because they're saved by works, probably to determine degrees of punishment, by the way. Also, they think that that's the standard, and God will judge them by their own standard. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. 
But, as in Romans, for all have sinned and keep on falling short of God's glory. They fall short of perfection. And therefore they're guilty before a holy God. And therefore they're not justified by their deeds. But the dead were judged according to their works by the things that are written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Those who have died to see, out at sea, they were resurrected. Death in Hades, Hades is where the soul is, goes to at death for the unsaved. Death is where the body goes to the grave. They were emptied up, emptied, and therefore the person stands soul and body before the Lord at this judgment. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were emptied into the lake of fire, meaning that temporal place of judgment will now transfer over to the permanent place of judgment called the lake of fire. So we have Hades as a temporal place of judgment for the lost, and that will transition into the emptying out of Hades, and then the lake of fire will be the permanent place of judgment for the unsaved. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is a second death. By the way, the lake of fire is equal to Gehenna. Jesus used the term Gehenna hell, and that's equal to the lake of fire. And anyone not found written in the book of life, this is the ultimate criteria. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. They're not there because they haven't believed the gospel. Our names are written when we believe in the book of life. So, clearly, we have the uh, second death mentioned in verse 14. And by the way, we have the second death mentioned in 21 verse 8. What is the second death? That doesn't mean that person ceases to exist. Because the root meaning of death, the basic concept, I should say, of death is separation. Uh, un- the unsaved person is physically alive but spiritually dead, Ephesians 2.1. They are born separated from a holy God because of inherited sin. They have an old sin nature. If they continue to reject the gospel, they will be eternally separated from God. They remain in that condition of spiritual death, forever separated from God's presence. And so there will be a separation of saved and lost. They will not be in that new Jerusalem. They'll be forever on the outside. And he mentions certain types of sins, and he's not saying that if anyone's ever committed these sins, that that person will go to hell. That would be a false interpretation. Someone's to get around that. Well, if you practice these sins, the Calvinists will say, then you'll go to hell. No, the Bible doesn't teach that either. The Corinthian believers, by the way, I would say would be sexually immoral. And they were practicing those things. And uh, they uh, certainly, uh, they were practicing some of the other things, such as idolatry. Uh, but... What he's saying here is these people have not believed the gospel and they are unjustified and so they are characterized by their former lifestyle and therefore they're evil. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Now if you want to include this as far as I'm doing pretty good, I'm not a murderer, I'm not sexually immoral. What about liars? (laughs) Ultimately, though, I think that term liars refers to idol worship. But either way, if you want to try to say, well, you know, these are only the bad people and the moral people, they'll be in heaven. Well, read Romans chapter 2, by the way. (laughs) No, you need to believe the gospel. All right, let's deal with these. This, therefore, concerns eternal sinfulness of unbelievers. Because unbelievers upon death are sealed permanently as those who are unjustified, they remain sinners in God's sight forever. Think about this. This is how God views them forever. They remain the way they were before they died. They are viewed by God as such. So in their life, if they were murderers, they were characterized by immorality, they are still viewed as sinners separated from a holy God. And I think this is from God's perspective, these individuals. I also think, by the way, that some of these terms, and many of these, are used of tribulation unbelievers. And there's a parallel passage in Revelation 9 at the end of that chapter 
that picture these individuals. And I think that's later here in the notes. Yeah, there it is, the next note. Uh, I believe that these words are describing tribulation on believers who follow the Antichrist, but certainly can be applied to all the unsaved. Look at Revelation chapter 9, verse 20 and 21. Revelation chapter 9, verse 20 deals with individuals who have seen the judgment of God in the tribulation and yet have no desire to turn from their sinful lifestyle. They have no desire, even to escape temporal judgment. I'm not saying that they had to do that in order to be saved. I'm not teaching Lord's salvation. I'm saying even to avoid temporal judgment, they still refuse to turn away from their evil. You remember what the uh, children of um, Nineveh did? And how Nineveh's message about judgment, and they turned from their wickedness, and God spared physically Nineveh. Similar thing going on. God could spare them from his temporal wrath and the tribulation judgments if they would turn from those sins. Uh, But they refused to do so, showing the character of the heart. The heart is desperately wicked. Uh, showing their rebellious nature. Notice here, the rest of the mankind who were not killed by these plagues. So all these individuals are killed by these plagues. They see that. Does that move them to turn away from their sinful lifestyle and turn to God? No. Notice here. Who did not repent of the works of their hands. Now that's idols. They follow idolatry. By the way, what is that connected to? That's connected to suppression of general revelation. Truth of God as creator, Romans 1. And so we have individuals who suppress truth of God as creator, and therefore they also reject would reject special revelation about God's Son, who created all things. Therefore, they did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons. Very interesting, the insight uh, demons are behind idol worship. They animate or motivate idol worship. Say, what's the point bowing down to something I made with my hands? What what do I get out of it? I think demons energize that worship. And there, there may be a real experience that people experience when they go into a temple and worship idols. There's a demonic experience that they experience. And therefore... Um, Demons are behind that deception, certainly. And notice here that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Now, what is often associated with idolatry? Sexual immorality. They go hand in hand. And therefore, in verse 21, they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft, Pharmacia, by the way, the word for pharmacy, doesn't mean simply, by the way, um, drugs. It does mention drugs, but drugs to contact demonic spirits. It's a very interesting connection. So in the tribulation period, people will be turning to usage of drugs to contact demonic spirits. And I think you're opening yourself up to the occult by the usage of drugs. If your mind's not controlled by the Lord and you're not putting on that helmet of salvation, the hope of salvation, Satan can attack the thinking, right? And drugs Satan uses to open up the mind to deception. So here, sorceries is a word, interesting word, pharmakia, to refer to the usage of drugs to contact occultic spirits. And notice here, uh, they did not turn from that. And their sexual immorality or their thefts. Some of the same sins mentioned here are repeated in Revelation 21 verse 8. So I think, first and foremost, he can refer to those who reject the truth of the gospel during the tribulation will be separated from God permanently in the lake of fire. They did not believe the gospel. And therefore, they are judged. Let's look at the various terms. We're going to run quickly through these terms here. The cowardly. The word means to fear. 
and they were afraid not to take the mark of the beast. And I think that's very interesting. They were afraid of losing their life. So we have the the cowardly, meaning the fearful, is the first mentioned here. Uh, they were uh, not. They were afraid of losing their life, and they loved their life, and therefore they lost it. And the unbelieving, by the way, uh, pistos means not believing. Notice they were not believers. They were not believers, and that's the key, I think, uh, point here. All these other sins associated from unbelief. They rejected the gospel. They refused to believe the gospel in order to be saved. By the way, isn't that passage in 2 Thessalonians 1, they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, and therefore they did what? They embraced the lie, Satan's lie, through the Antichrist. Abominable. That means something to be abhorred or associated with idolatry. Laonidas said, it's impossible, it's possible that that term in Revelation 21 verse 8 refers to sexual perverts. Interesting. They get into sexual perversion. Murderers, they persecute Christians. And a lot of them will murder believers during that time. Those won't be church age believers but certainly tribulation believers. They will be murdered during that time. And therefore, these individuals that worship a false religious system murder the true. And that's very interesting. There are religions that are bent on, think about jihad, in the name of their religion. And the early Christians were persecuted and murdered because of false beliefs. Sexually immoral, pornos. We get the word pornography from this word here. That certainly would be included, but I think this idea is the practice of sexual immorality, one who engages in sexual immorality, whether a man or a woman. Many times, by the way, this is connected to idol worship. Idol worship. Sorcery, we always we looked at this word we mentioned this word earlier. Pharmacius meaning to administer a drug. An enchanter with drugs, a sorcerer, one who does extraordinary things through occultic means. Drug usage associated with occultic means. Idolatry, those who are image worshippers. The word icon, an image. The Antichrist will demand universal worship or death. Certainly that will be a big issue in the tribulation period, idolatry. Idolatry, Revelation 13, 8 and 15. Liars, by the way, refers to the worship of idols. The Old Testament calls that a lie, by the way. Heathen worship or idol worship is leads people away from the truth of God's word and the truth of God as creator. Uh, Romans 1, by the way, verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Think about it. Who exchange the truth of God for a lie. Those who suppress the truth of God as creator, they exchange it for something else. Deception. Falsehood. And uh, worship and serve the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And that's what they will do in the tribulation period as well. Shall have their mirror share. Instead of having a share in the New Jerusalem, they'll have their share and part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, the liquid lake. And this would be the lake of fire described in Revelation 20, verse 15. Those not written in the book of life were cast into that lake of fire, which is the second death. Not teaching annihilationism here. The, it means they're eternally separated from the Holy God. And God's presence will be with His people. We made that contrast in Revelation 21, verse 4. In the New Jerusalem, they will not experience the presence of God as far as relationship throughout eternity. Now, Revelation 21, verse 27 is the second passage that teaches a separation of saved and lost. There shall be by no means enter in anything. He's talking about enter into the new Jerusalem. 
enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we have a double negative in the Greek, ume, and this double negative participle emphasizes negation. By no means. That's why it's translated by no means. Uh, There's no way anything will enter into that city that is deceptive or or defiles. That enter means to come or go in. They will not enter ice erkomai, ice, preposition ice, into, if you understand Greek prepositions, uh, erkomai, to go or come. They will not go into that city or enter it. This Greek word, by the way, is used of Jesus entering into the temple in John 20, 21. So they will not enter into the new Jerusalem. Access denied. (laughs) Access denied. Or anything else, nothing at all. Nothing at all that defiles. That means to pollute or make common or unclean. The term is associated with temple worship. In the eternal state, the entire new Jerusalem is a temple, by the way. So they who worship false gods, those who worship idols, will be denied access. The Gentiles were considered unclean, but have been cleansed through the sacrificial death of the Lamb. Or those who cause an abomination, something that arouses God's wrath, something disgusting that arouses God's wrath. This word is also used of idolatry in the Septuagint. In Deuteronomy 29.16, we won't look at all these passages, but we can talk about the abomination of desolation. Think about the abomination of desolation who the offered in the temple uh, at the midpoint in the tribulation. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. So in the tribulation temple, the Antichrist will desecrate the temple, but in the eternal state, no sin or idolatry will corrupt. Think about that. In that temple, there is no abomination. So if you view the New Jerusalem as a temple, in that temple, there is no abomination. Nothing that is associated with idolatry. Or a lie. Pseudos. Something that is false. Idolatry is a lie in the sense it misrepresents the character of God. Lies misrepresent God's character and an idol is a lie. It cannot represent the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent creator God. Um, A thing made that's localized and image made of man's hands is not a representation of the one true God. And therefore, any idolatry will be excluded from that new Jerusalem. We can look up the various passages, Romans 1, 25, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9-11, Revelation 21, verse 8. Only those, who this is who is included. So we look at those who are excluded. Here's those who are included in that new Jerusalem, that city. Here's the entrance. Those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that is by grace through faith. Those who have believed the gospel. The book of life is the register of those who receive eternal life in contrast to those who are destined for the lake of fire. Uh, We had the mention of that book in Philippians chapter 3, 4 verse 3. Philippians 4 verse 3. Um. I urge you, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Whose names are in the book of life. By the way, he included two women who were having problems in the church. Odia and Suntachi, right? Odias and Suntachi, you know those two women? In verse 3, Yodia and Syndiki. Uh, he encourages them to get along in the church so they were not stellar as far as they're uh, you know without sin but they're in the book of life because it's by grace think about that so only those who are in the book of life I think those who have believed the gospel uh, will be in that city the land's book of life I think it's called the land's book of life because worthy is the lamb that was slain Revelation 5 now 
third passage we have in Revelation 22, verse 11. And this is a key passage in distinguishing saved and lost. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He is holy, let him be holy still. What is he saying? He's saying in the eternal state, individuals will remain in the condition they are at death forever. Okay? And Jesus talking about dying in your sins. Dying as a sinner. Dying as a sinner separated from God. You remain such unjustified throughout eternity. Whereas those who are justified by faith, who are righteous through imputed righteousness, will always be righteous before a holy God. I think he's referring to positional realities here. Alright, let's look at it. He is unjust. This is the experience of the unsaved, present active participle. This Greek word means to act unjustly or do wrong. But also those who are not justified by faith. But these are individuals as described in Romans 1, 18-20 who suppress the truth and righteousness. They haven't experienced justification by faith. Let them be unjust still. Eris active imperative. And meaning that that person will still continue in that state. So this idea of individuals who are unjust will remain unjust throughout eternity. Think about that. They will continue in that state. Those who are filthy will be filthy still. This filthiness is experience of the unsaved. Once again, another present active participle referring to make dirty, be foul, or soil. The idea is they're unclean spiritually in God's eyes. They will continue in that state. Eris active imperative. Let him be filthy still. What about the righteous? Righteous are those dikaio who are found right in God's eyes. The idea of being free of charges against them. Therefore justified in Galatians 2.16. So the saved are those who have imputed righteousness by faith. They will remain that way throughout eternity. They will be righteous still. Heiress passive imperative. What about holiness? Now, holiness has three aspects, certainly positional, experiential, ultimate. Here, though, I think he's referring to, in our position, holy. The word means set apart. The concept of holiness, hagios, set apart, morally pure. The word translated saints, by the way. Paul called the Corinthian believers saints, holy. Not because of their lifestyle, but because of their position. We are holy when we believe in Christ. We will remain in that position forever. We will be holy still throughout eternity. And we, we would, if we had time, we would look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And therefore, because of what Christ has accomplished, those who have believed the gospel are holy in him. We are justified in him, right in his eyes, and we are holy in his eyes. Two great terms to describe believers, by the way. Righteous and holy. Righteous and holy. So, these words of Revelation declare the fixedness of character at death. So, you'll be locked in throughout eternity to negative or positive volition forever. Think about that. So there's no possible transfer or going back and forth between heaven and hell. No mention of purgatory. The same can be taught of Luke 16, the account of rich man, the rich man Lazarus. There's a great call fixed. There's a fixed state here. The two cannot go from one to another. That will continue throughout eternity. You'll be locked in to who you are at the point of death. No second chance after death. That's why now is the opportunity to believe the gospel. The invitation of 22.17 makes clear that an opportunity for the right choice remains. Whoever wishes, let him take of the water of life freely by grace through faith. The teaching is simple, that once a person makes that choice, he has sealed his eternal destiny for better or for worse. If you remain, you can reject the gospel and then later believe it, certainly. But you certainly don't want to put off that opportunity because, who knows, your life is like a vapor. 
I've talked to people and they seem pretty healthy and the next week they were in heaven and life is short and other people who have rejected the gospel and I'll give an example of this this young lady uh, and her family was on my heart I grew up in an area surrounding farms in eastern Ohio I we didn't own a farm. We did have a large field there of, of you know, we planted stuff and crops, but um, there were farmers around us in eastern Ohio. And one family that lived down the road became friends with and over the years kept in touch with them. And so when I go over to my mom's house, the family comes over, and this one young lady has, uh, she's older now, a <laughs> young lady, I was like, she's older now, but she has two daughters or goodness, several daughters. And I, the time before last when I was in Ohio, I felt an urgency to witness. I, I, I said, I need to witness. And so this girl was probably in her late 20s maybe. And I, I, I felt an urgency to go over the gospel. And I did. I went over with him and made sure. And, you know, she said she believed the gospel. And I went over it again. And she said, yeah, I believe you know, and Christ is my Savior. And uh, so she was born again. Next time I heard, she overdosed on fentanyl. She died. So next time I was in the area, she wasn't there anymore. And I thought, you know what? That was my last opportunity to give the gospel to that individual. We don't know. We don't know when it's our last opportunity to give the gospel to individuals. That's why it's urgent to always share when you have an opportunity. Now, sometimes the opportunity doesn't present itself, but we pray for Paul for open doors. But we need a sense of eternity. We need a sense of perspective. Um, it's a point on demand once to die and after this the judgment. So clearly the opportunity is still there for those to believe. Uh, Tom Constable states this, This is a strong warning to unbelievers not to put off becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. It presents the hopelessness of the final state of unbelievers. When Christ comes, people will not be able to change their destiny. Don't think there will be a second chance. What they are, they then will remain forever. People should not expect some second chance in the future. This verse refutes that. There will be no second chance in the future. If you're unjust at the point of death, you'll be unjust still. If you're holy because believing the gospel, you'll be holy still. One more verse. Revelation 22, verse 15. Behold, outside are dogs and sorcerers. Outside that new Jerusalem are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Once again, I think connected to tribulation, unbelievers, but certainly true of all believers who have rejected the gospel. They will be, ek, echo is the word, from outside, adverb of place. Greek word ek means out. They will be outside the city of the New Jerusalem. They're excluded. They're on the outside. And he describes them here. Uh, They are also those who will never enter the New Jerusalem. They cannot enter because they are outside the city in the lake of fire. That's where they're located. Five of the six terms used here are used of the lost in Revelation 21 verse 8. We already examined that passage. Five of the six terms are repeated here. Uh, Though some saints have been guilty of these same practices... They have been washed in the blood of the Lamb and are accepted to God. But those who refuse to come to the Lord receive the just reward for their sins. Think about that. Now the dogs is an expression referring to what is unclean or unholy. Sometimes the Gentiles are called that. But I don't think he's referring to classes of individuals here. It means simply those who are unclean because... They are not washed in the blood of the Lamb. They are not holy. And many times it refers to those who ridicule what is holy. That derogative term. They ridicule the holy. Um, Dogs describe the unsaved in Matthew 7, 6 and Philippians 3, 2. Sorcerers 
the same word we saw earlier means to minister drugs and worship of the occult so those involved in the area of the occult are on the outside sexually immoral one who engages in sexual immorality went over some of these same terms in our earlier passage many times associated with idolatry murderers those who persecute believers during the tribulation those who kill individuals too first degree murder idolaters those who are image worshippers certainly antichrist will demand worship of the image worldwide so those individuals who follow the antichrist will be excluded from that city and then those who practice a lie or deception me including idolatry idolatry another term associated with the idolatry and they will be on the outside now you may say this is not fair people object to eternal punishment and they say well that's unfair I want you to think about this and we'll close with this passage in the following verse John 5.30 I can on my own self do nothing as I hear a judge and my judgment is righteous when Christ will judge the lost it will be fair it will be fair it will be righteous that's why ultimately we have to accept the authority of the word of God it comes down to that it really comes down to this do you really accept the revelation that God has revealed in his word or do we try with human viewpoint and human reasoning to reject what God has written our ultimate authority stands and falls upon how we accept this book and we start to pick and choose what we like and what we don't like we fall into error so it's very important to accept the authority of the word of God God's not going to shame you in eternity if you misinterpret the verse because you thought I really thought it meant that way God understood (laughs) but he's not going to shame you but if you reject what is already written clearly revealed shame on you shame on you Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you for its authority. We pray, Father, that uh, we might accept the truth and it might sober us up to the urgency to spread the gospel. The fact that Jesus Christ took on human flesh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The fact that he lived a sinless, perfect life to die on a cruel cross, bearing the iniquity of us all bearing our sins and paying the penalty for those sins satisfying the righteous demands of a holy God rising from the dead bodily and offering eternal life through faith in him Father I pray for those listening to this if there is anyone who has never placed their faith in the Lord Jesus may they do so today because today and now is an accepted time today is a day of salvation And I pray for those who have believed. We pray that we might rejoice in that fact, realizing that we will not come into judgment, but we have passed out of death into life. And we give you the praise for that, Father. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.